Hey, uh, guys, we are we're excited to have you. Uh, Jen, we, we are, if you guys did not know, in 2021, we have a theme. Our theme for this year is called Beyond the Wall, A Year of Restoration. Beyond the Wall, A Year of Restoration. And the reason why we, we had that theme going for this year was because looking back in 2020, what we saw was um, a year that was really great in some aspects, but in other aspects, we saw a year where a lot of people just built walls around themselves, especially in the Christian community. Walls of emotional walls, moral walls, isolation, right? There were walls that were just dividing people from one another, right? And so this year, what we wanted to do and what we thought about as, as leaders was, I think the reason why these walls were built is because we've forgotten a lot about our foundation as what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so this year, what we wanted to do was we wanted to have a year where we encourage and push and motivate our brothers and sisters in the faith to go beyond the walls again, a year of restoration, restoring relationship and restoring the heart of Jesus Christ and the community to people around us, right? And that's why the first um, series that we have decided to create is a series called Foundation. And it's a series that is just going back and laying out the foundation of the Christian faith, right? Because I, I really believe that the big problem of the Christian community, why we built the walls, is because we spent a whole entire year forgetting the foundation of our faith, right? And for friends and families who are joining us, if you are coming in here and you're like, what are they talking about, right? I hope that this series is actually going to be beneficial for you as well, because the series was meant to help you to see the world in the way that believers see the world, in the biblical worldview, in the way that they engage the world because of the things we see here, all right? And so we've talked about a couple of things. We've talked about the idea how we all believe in something. You and I, we all believe in something. The question is, that thing that you believe in, is it big enough? Is it big enough to deal with the, is, is it big enough and consistent enough to deal with the moral intuitions that you have of reality, right and wrong? justice and injustice. You see, if you, if, if you tell me that there's such a thing as right and wrong, and yet the basis of your belief comes from survival of the fittest, see, that's inconsistent. How do you get from survival of the fittest ultimately to what? We should love everybody. Is your belief big enough to handle your moral intuition? And also, is your belief and is your God big enough to answer life's deepest questions of justice of morals, of vision, of beauty, of love, of suffering? Do you have a resource that can help you be consistent in the way you live? Christianity says yes. In Christianity, there is a resource that offers that. We have a Savior God that is big enough to deal with the moral intuition and big enough to deal with life's deepest questions of your reality, to live in such a way where you are consistent. We talked about that. We've also talked about the fact that can this God be found? Can this truth be found? The answer is yes. Actually, not only can it be found, but that God is searching for you. We talked about how God is creating disruptive sites all around us, every situation, disruptive sites in our life to get us to do what? To turn, our size, turn aside from our daily grind of life and to go pursue and ask the big question of what's going on here. Why is this happening? Okay? And help us to see that there is a God out there that is not only 
searching for us, but utterly devoted to us. So we talked about the fact that there is a God, and he can be found. And last week, I talked about this picture of the Bible's picture of what we call sin, meaning that we all messed up. Right? The Bible telling us what is wrong with us. Because if you look at the world, you realize people are messed up in every possible way. Isn't that true? We realize there are there's just things that are happening around us that we just cannot describe and reasons why we don't understand why. See, if we understand the biblical doctrine of sin, if we understand this doctrine of sin, we begin to understand why there was so much nasty rhetoric last year. We understand why there were so many difficult and, and um, harsh things that were said and done from not just religious but non-religious groups last year. We begin to understand why there are so many dividing lines and walls that were built up. If you understand the biblical doctrine of sin, you understand the human heart of why we do what we do, right? As a way of uh, introduction, let me, um, let me share this with you. Eric Erickson wrote a famous book. He's a psychologist, right? He wrote a famous book called Childhood and Society, okay? And in this book, he said, if a child in its earliest days doesn't learn to trust the main adult in his or her life, whether they're abandoned, whether they're abused, whether they're neglected, if the child in their earliest days do not learn to trust that main adult in their care, mom, dad, etc., at the beginning of their life, the child later on has all these pathologies, right, for the rest of their life. Now, I don't know Eric Erickson very well. I'm not a psychologist, right? I don't know the plus or minuses of his psychology, but the point is, at the beginning of the human race, at the beginning of the human race, that's what happened to us. Because you and I do not truly trust, we give lip service to say that we believe in God, but when it comes to asking, do we actually trust God, right? When we do not have that trust in God, what happens? There is a litmus of pathologies that begins to happen in our lives that comes forth from it. At the beginning of the human race, we see that there is a lack of trust in God, and now there's the consequences of that lack of trust in their adult figure. We see this all the time. Look at the people around you that's working themselves to the bone, that working themselves to their blue in the face, that, that's working themselves to their dead, jumping from one job to the next because they can never feel satisfied to do what? To do what? To prove to themselves and others that they are valuable. And do you know why they do that? Because they don't trust that the love of God is enough. They don't trust God enough to let the love of God assure them that they are valuable. The reason why we go and seek worth and value is because we do not, at the root of all of our issues, is that we do not trust God enough to tell to believe and to be assured of what he tells us. Think about this. Think about why people jump from relationship to relationship. Why people will give themselves um, thoroughly into a relationship. Right? To prove what? To prove or, or to seek for a sense of worth, a sense of belonging. Because they don't believe that they can trust God when he says, you belong to me. And my love is complete for you. See, these are the pathologies that happens without the lack of trust in our lives. If you look around some more, there are people putting people down around us in the world, right? Demonizing people. And they're doing that for what reason? To bolster themselves up? To make, the, to make the, a, a strength of their own personal sense of self-worth? 
Because why? Because they don't trust the love of God enough to assure them of their own personal sense of self-worth. So they have to use their strength, their power, their ego, their superiority to make others feel less so that they can feel better. All of this, guys, is rooted in the issue that we do not trust God as much as we think we do. There are people who are just exhausted to make sure that everything in their life goes right for their family, for their children, for their own health and their finances. They want nothing to go wrong. They want everything to go right, and they're eaten up with constant worry and anxiety. Why? Because they don't trust God enough to give them a sense of safety. You guys see the issue here? The root of sin whether you give lip service to God or not, the root of sin is that you do not trust in this God. You do not trust in him. And that's what we learned last week. And today I want to talk to you guys about the essence of sin. I'm going to talk about three things. I'm talking about the essence of sin, the result of sin, and the solution for sin. The essence of sin, the result of sin, and the solution for sin. What is the essence of sin? What is the essence? It means this. What is sin really? The essence of sin is can you define sin? What is that? Open your Bibles, Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to read the passage that we're holding on to here. I'm going to share that with Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, and then we're going to go to uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Let me read this for you guys uh, before we get started. Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 to 17. Follow along with me if you have your Bibles. Uh, if you don't, just uh, look on the screen. I think the word is up. This is what the word of God says. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig uh, leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? What is the essence of sin? How do you define sin? We know the root of sin. The root of sin is the fact that you do not trust God. You can give lip service to God. You can say how much he is your Lord and Savior. But when it comes down to it, when it comes down to certain things that he's asked of you, commands of you to obey from him, you do not trust God. But what is the essence of sin? How do you define sin? Look at verse 5. It says this, chapter 3, verse 5. It says, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Definition of sin. The most shallow definition that most believers have, the most shallow definition that most people outside the church thinks sin is, 
right, is this. It means that disobeying God. God gives a command, don't eat. You act out in behavioral disobedience by responding by what? By eating it, okay? That's the most shallow definition of what sin is, behavioral disobedience. But the deeper answer, the deeper answer to what sin is, you guys ready for this? Jesus tells us on the Sermon on the Mount, he says this, the impulses that goes in your heart that leads to the behavior, those impulses themselves are sin. The impulses that are there in your heart that leads to the behavior, those impulses are themselves sins. You wouldn't do the behavioral violation unless there were the impulses in the heart to do that. See, God is saying, it's not just about what you do on the outside, but it's what's going on on the inside. And what's going on, on the inside, the essence of sin is what verse 5 is saying, is that you will be like God. The essence of sin is that you want God's control. You want to center your life on yourself rather than let God be in control of your life. You want to call the shots in your life rather than letting God call the shot and tell you what's right and what's wrong. You want everything in your life to revolve around your glory, your adulation, your happiness instead of God's glory, God's happiness, and what God says pleases him. See, this, this is called self-centeredness. Theological way of defining sin, you want to be like God. Basic way of deciding sin, self-centeredness. The essence of sin is a self-centered issue that goes on in your heart. It goes on in your heart. It's not just about the outside, but what goes on in the inside. See, Jesus says it's not just about you committing adultery behaviorally, so if you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery. It's the impulse of the heart that says, I want to be in control. I want my glory, my adulation. It's not just about murdering somebody. It's what's going on in your heart. If there's anger there, Jesus says that is equivalent to murder because the impulse of your heart, the essence of sin, is that you want to be in control. You want to call the shots. You want to believe what's right and wrong. You Call the glory for yourself. It's what's going on in your heart. See, the way we teach sin all the time is always like, don't do this, don't do that. But the real thing that you got to think about is what's going on that drives that. What's in the heart that drives those desires? Do you guys know something? Let me tell you this. Self-centeredness, okay? I'm going to break your brains today, right? Self-centeredness. We have a desire, we have a natural desire that's so deep, okay, that it's viciously, this desire that we have inside our heart, it viciously, cruelly uses people and things and even God to please ourselves. The nature of ourselves is so vicious, so cruel, is that it would use people, it would use things, and even use God so that it can please itself. That's the essence of sin. See, when you think about self-centeredness, you think about what? Selfish people, right? You think about people who draw attention to themselves. 
You think about people like, hey, look at me, or this is what I want, this is what I get. You think of egomaniacs. You, you think of people who are cruel, who are vicious out there. You think of, like, you know, the, the dictators of the world. But do you know, did you know self-centeredness can also motivate you to be really good? Because self-centeredness is not just about motivating you to be cruel and vicious. Self-centeredness can motivate you to be very good. Why? There is no better feeling, there is no better way to feel superior to everyone else than to be really good, really moral, to give to the poor, to self-sacrifice. Here I am, look at me, look what I'm doing. Here I am, check this out. Who I, you're drawing attention to yourself so that you can feel superior to those who do not. There's no better way to feel superior to everyone else, no better way to control other people than to get them to feel like they owe you for the good that you've done them. To control their respect, to control their opinion, right, of who you are. There is no better way. You see, self-centeredness is not just about being selfish here, guys. It's not just about being cruel and vicious. Self-centeredness, self-centeredness can also motivate you to be good, to be moral, to be what? Religious. Is it not true that Jesus says that when you pray, my sons, my brothers, my, my daughters, when you pray, don't go out in the streets and pray out loud to draw attention to yourself, but go in your room, close your door, get on your knees and pray to your Father in secret. Is it not true that God says when you're fasting, don't just put on a downtrodden face so that everyone can look at you and feel sorry for you, but that you would fast and that you would wash up and that you would walk in pride? Is it not true that Jesus says don't let your left hand in your service know what your right hand is doing? That you don't need to proclaim your merits from one to the other, that you yourself do it without you even knowing it. Why? Because self-centeredness, church, self-centeredness motivates you to be really good because you're not doing it for, for the sake of doing it. You're doing it for you. When you pray in the streets, you're doing it for you. When you serve and you let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, it, you're doing it for you. You're doing it for a sense of feeling that you are better you're doing it for a sense of feeling that you are, I didn't write this, by the way. This is in the Bible, okay, guys? You're doing it for, I'm not, I'm not trying to psychoanalyze you. This is what Scripture is telling you about your very heart. The good that you do, the good that you do, oftentimes is so bent upon itself, so vicious, so cruel, that you use the good to motivate and to glorify yourself. Did you know that self-centeredness can make you very religious? Self-centeredness is not just about dealing with cruel, vicious, egomaniacs here. Self-centeredness can make you very religious. How? You go to your place of worship. You perform your worship duties. You pray and you execute your acts of worship and you expect results. You expect God to give you what you ask. You expect God will take you to heaven. You expect God to do something for you. You don't even know how many times, church, I've heard this, people. And I hear it sometimes. That's why I use this illustration. How many times people come and say to me, PT, I'm a Christian. I don't deserve this. I'm a good Christian, PT. I'm a good Christian. 
I, nothing is going right in my life. Why follow God at all? What good is it to do all this and have God allow for this to happen? I've done all these things. I'm a good Christian. What God, what use is it? What use is it to follow God and to allow for all these things to happen? You know what, you know what you just said there? Do you know what you just basically said in your words there without actually saying it? What you're saying is God is a means to my end. I'm using God to get what I want. You know what that is? Self-centeredness. You can be very religious and you can use God to get what you want. And whatever it is that you want, that's your true God, by the way. You're not obeying God for God's sake. You're obeying God so that you can get this, whether it's adulation, whether it's adoration, whether it's value, whether it's worth, whether it's pride, whatever it is, you're using God to get that. That's self-centeredness. That is the essence of sin. See, because when you really love someone, why do you do what you do? When you really love someone, why do you do what you do? My wife is watching this Korean drama called um, Crash Landing on You. I'm pretty sure a lot of you guys know it. I'm sure you guys are, yeah, everyone all crazy about it. I, I saw one episode. Right? I, I was like up doing something. I saw one episode when she was watching it. It was, it was actually kind of cute. This guy is basically a girl from South Korea lands in North Korea because of hang gliding, meets up with this soldier in North Korea. Somehow this guy just falls deeply in love with her, I think, right? And he's trying to get her back to South Korea knowing that this that he'll never see her again, that he'll never know her again, but he's willing to do all of that, to put his life on the line. I saw the episode when he was like, when she was being transported, and then he, had, he fought off two trucks just to like save her, you know? And if you guys know the scene, yeah, you know the scene, okay? But anyways, the point was, he was willing to do that, knowing that she would get on a plane and never be able to see him again. It wasn't about getting any adoration, adulation, it was simply because of love. It was for the sake of doing it. See, our natural issue, church, is that we are so vicious, or the, or the nature of our heart is that it's so vicious, so cruel, that it would use people and things and even God to please itself. Right? The essence of sin is putting yourself in God's place. It's self-centered. It's being your own savior, your own Lord. You have to go out there and get your own self-worth because you don't believe that God can actually give it to you. And so you got to go out there and do it. You got to go out there and make your dreams. You got to go out there and fight. And if that's the essence of sin, right, think about it. If that's the essence of self-centeredness, using people, things, God for yourself, you realize what? You can be both moral, good, and religious as well as cruel, vicious, and evil. Both is the issue of sin. Both deals with sin. Both are the essence of sin. You guys get me? Self-centeredness is pervasive. It's not just about one group of people and not the other. Right? Self-centeredness is sin is the, the, the essence of sin is not just about one, one highlighted issue and not the other issues. Self-centeredness is pervasive that you don't have to be just cruel, vicious, and egomaniac. You can be moral, good, and religious 
and still suffer from self-centeredness. The point I'm trying to tell you this, if you understand the biblical doctrine of sin, if you understand the biblical doctrine of sin, you will not do what so many have done the past year. You know what that is? Divide people between bad and good. Because the moment you do that is the moment, is the revelation that comes along, you do not know the heart of sin. Because at the heart of sin, there is no good, bad. There is no moral, no religious that's right, and there is no cruel and vicious that's wrong. Self-centeredness is pervasive across the spectrum. We're all sinners, you and I. And when we begin, and we begin to see and to divide lines and to draw walls and to create these spaces where we keep people at bay, where we mute them, where we um, stop relationship with them simply because we disagree with them and we end up hating them. What that tells me is that you have divided the world into good and bad. You have fought into this realm of self-centeredness and you do not understand the biblical doctrine of sin. And that is why people do what they do. Isn't that true? Isn't that what we truly see all over our news, see all over our people, our feeds, our social media? There are both sides who claim that they're both good, and they claim that the other side is evil. No, not, not understanding what? The Bible tells you you're both evil. We're all messed up. Because at the heart of what we're doing, the essence of our sin is that you are self-centered. You want to be your own God. You want the glory. You want to find a way to have your own value, your own worth. And so you go out and you fight for it. See, once you realize that, there is no such thing as exclusiveness anymore. We're all sinners, you and I. There's no, there's no such thing as you creating spaces to tell people this person is bad or this person is good. You can, I'm not saying you can't disagree with them. I'm not saying that you can't even, like, sharply disagree with them. But what I am saying is that when you look at them and then you feel that you are superior, better because of whatever moral grounds you think you can stand on, let me tell you something about that moral ground. That moral ground is self-centeredness because you can be moral, religious, and good and still be self-centered. Because you're doing it not for the sake of because it's right. You're doing it because of what? To feel like you are above. Once you see that, once you realize that everyone is a sinner, you don't draw those lines anymore about bad and good. Right? Think, think about why you guys like the shows like um, uh, Game of Thrones. Right? I mean, I bet, I bet you a bunch of you guys love Game of Thrones. You know why you guys like Game of Thrones? Because the author is actually very smart. He shows that the good characters aren't usually always good. Right? And he shows that the bad characters aren't usually always bad. It's a reflection of your reality. And you realize the good aren't always good and the bad aren't always bad. There is, a spe- there is this kind of blurring line here and we draw to them because we see in those storylines, in those characters, what? A reflection of us. We're able to see our own hearts because we know that the, even the best moral good that we do, we do it for the sake of our own personal gain. And we know that the, even the most immoral things that we do, we do it because of our own personal gain. And so that's the essence of sin. It's self-centeredness. Your desire to be your own God. Your desire to have your own glory. Your desire to be like God. That is the essence of sin. So what is the result of sin? What is the result of sin 
when it begins to pervade into your life. And this is how you know, okay? Check this out. If you have broken relationships because of whatever it is that's happened, I guarantee you, in the midst and in the heart of that broken relationship, it's because of self-centeredness. Right, check this out. The result of sin is what? It's always the breakdown of relationship. Look at verse 7 to 9. So after they ate the fruit, their eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid them from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? We see a breakdown of relationship between Adam and Eve. You know, before, before sin entered, before self-centeredness began to enter into their heart, what happens? They didn't mind transparency. They were naked and they didn't mind. See, the nakedness is this picture of you can see all of me and it's okay. There's nothing for me to hide from you. There is no shame in this. But when, the moment their eyes were open, you know what happens? Self-centeredness kicked in. And what does self-centeredness do? Self-centeredness is the need to force the other person to see you the way you want them to see you. Isn't it? And so they sold fig leaves because they don't want, Adam didn't want Eve to see him the way he wanted to be seen. So he wanted to create a space. Because if you were to be naked like that, there would be no transparency. You want to create an image, a facade, a picture. It always leads to the breakdown of relationship, the walls, the isolation, the muting, the ghosting, the shutdown of dialogue, the brokenness in relationship. When sin is there, you will see a huge breakdown of relationship between husbands and wives, friends and family, you and God. The result of sin is always, church, a breakdown of relationship. Can I ask you guys to think about last year? And I asked to think about your Christian walk last year. And I'm not trying to claim what way of thinking was the best or not the best, but what I'm saying is your way of arguing for what you thought was true, did it break the relationship with you and somebody else? Your way of arguing for what your truth was, what you strongly held as conviction, did it break your relationship with another person? Because let me tell you something, if the relationship is broken, there's a huge chance that your way of thinking was centered and built on self-centeredness and not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the result of sin is always broken relationship. But it's not just between people, it's between you and God too. Check this out. When God showed up, they hid. Why? Because they know what they've done. They know what they've done. They're like, oh, we've done messed up. We all messed up. See, whether you believe in God or not, whether you believe in God or not at home, okay, can you, can, is it true that somewhere deep in your heart there's this condemning voice that you can't shake? And this is not just about Christians or non-Christians. Just be honest with your heart. Is, is it not true that there's a condemning voice in you somewhere in the depth of your heart telling you that you're an imposter, that you're a fraud, Telling you that, should you really be here? Right? Are you really a good mom? Are you really a good, are you really even a good leader? Is that not a voice in your heart that tells you, I don't even know what I'm doing half the time. I don't even know who I am. 
Can I tell you? That deep sense of condemnation is an awareness that you're alienated from your creator. Whether you're a believer or not believer, if you sense that, if you're, if, if you, if you're quiet enough to have those moments when you actually sense that, that right there, that right there is the sign of how alienated you are from God, from your creator. So the essence of sin is self-centeredness. The result of sin is broken relationship. And so the question is, what is the solution to sin? What is the solution to sin? And this is actually kind of funny, but it starts here, okay? In verse 9 it says, The Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Now if you're God, the creator of the universe, it sounds kind of like a funny question to ask, right? Where are you? Like what location are you at? I can't find you. Right? Obviously, God knew where he was. Obviously, God knew exactly what was happening. But what you see is later on, as you read a little bit more, you see that God asks him a few questions here. He keeps asking him a bunch of other questions. He asks, where are you? What, what that means is, why are you hiding? All right? Adam and Eve's answer should have been, the right answer should have been, I'm hiding because I sinned. The answer that God got was, I'm hiding because I'm naked and ashamed. So God asked a question. The right answer would have been, because I've messed up. But the answer he got was, because we're ashamed and we're naked. And so God asked a follow-up question. Why are you ashamed? And who told you that? Did you eat of what I told you not to eat? The right answer would have been, yes, I did. I messed up, God. But the answer God got was, the woman made me do it. And the answer he got from the woman was, the serpent made me do it. What is God doing here? I mean, they, they both, at this very moment, sinned before God. They both, at this very moment, at the root of their heart, said, I do not trust you, God. And at the root of their heart, telling, at the essence of their heart, saying, I want to be like you. It would seem like God would come down, descending in fiery judgment, and wipe them out, Right? But what is he doing? He comes down and he asks them questions. Why? Because he's counseling them. Right? He does not show up in judgment and fire. The Bible says he's walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And even though he knows what happens, he's asking them questions. He's counseling them. He's trying to get them to come to a place where they see the truth. That's not what counselors do. I've never been to a counseling session. I mean, I've counseled people, right? And usually when people come and ask me, why are things so bad? I will always ask, why do you think things are so bad? Right? People ask, you know, I mean, the worst counseling session you would be in is like, hey, what's wrong with me? And the counselor said, because you suck. And the period. They said, move on, right? That would have been the worst counseling session ever. But a loving counseling session to redeem would be a counseling session that says, well, why do you think you're so bad? What God is doing here is he comes out in love and sympathy as a counselor. He didn't come in fire. You guys recognize that? Funny, huh? And yet, that's the go-to response that a lot of us have, is that God's going to just punish me right off the bat. What God's really looking for is, would you come and be honest and find redemption in your heart? He's trying to get you to get to the truth of what's really going on. And if you understand, if you would just read, if you guys read your Bibles a little bit more, you would see the length, the height, the depth 
the sacrifice that God was willing to go, that he did go, to show you, to seek you, to find you, and to redeem you. This right here, this in the garden where he asked, where are you? That was just a foretaste of what he's doing to redeem them. The exhaustive energy, time, heart, power that God put into to find us, to seek us, to redeem us. is unbelievable, and it's seen ultimately through Jesus Christ. What is the solution to sin? Listen, Jesus Christ shows up into a world, right? He shows up in the world to reverse the work of the serpent and to restore paradise. See, the serpent did what? The serpent put a lie in our hearts through a tree. Did he not? The serpent came and gave a lie to our hearts that you cannot trust God through a tree. So therefore, eat of this fruit from this tree. Jesus comes to take that lie out through a what? Through a tree. He's come to reverse the work that was done. The Bible talks about the first Adam and the second Adam. The first Adam is being Adam. The second Adam is Jesus. The first Adam in the Garden of Eden was given a command about a tree, right? The command was, don't eat the tree. Adam, don't eat the tree, or you will die. It's very simple. The second Adam in the Garden of Gethsemane was also given a command about a tree, right? What was that command? It was the cross. The first Adam in the sunny garden was given, obey me about this tree, and you will live. The second Adam in the dark gloom of Gethsemane, was given, obey me about the tree and you will be crushed. You will be, sm- you will be broken down. You will be judged and you will be killed. But it is the only way to take away their guilt and their shame. The first Adam was told to obey and live, and he didn't do it. The second Adam was told to obey and be crushed, and he did do it. Why? He did it for us. He did it for you. He did it for me. Look at him on that tree. See, our problem is what? We can't trust God. We can't trust God with our emotional lives. We can't trust God with our work life. We can't trust God with our family life. We can't trust God with our relationship. With our We can't trust God, period. That's the root of our issues. That's the root of our sin. And the essence of it is because why? We want to be in control. We want the world to revolve around us. That's the, that's, the, that's the essence of sin itself, right? Our problem is we can't trust God, but when we see Jesus on that cross willing to put everything on the line to show you, you can trust me. You can trust me. I know it's hard to trust in some figurative words to say, just trust me, but I'm showing you that you can trust me. I'm showing you that you can trust me because I am willing to go the distance for you. I'm willing to lay it all down. I'm willing to go all in. I'm willing to make anything possible. Give my life so that when you look upon this tree, you would know now and forever you can trust me. And he proves that through the resurrection 
See, when you understand the cross and what Jesus has done, that is the only solution we have for sin. Because on that cross, it gives us an avenue. It gives us a doorway. It gives us a pathway to say, yes, I can trust him. If God was willing to go that far for me, is he really going to make my life miserable if I obey him when it comes to relationship? If he's willing to go that far for me, is, is he really going to destroy my life if I obey him when it comes to my finances, my career, and my future? If he's willing to go that far for me, do I really believe that he really is out to get me and to bring me down and to make my life miserable? What person will go that far for an enemy just to make their life miserable? You see, on the cross is a doorway to say, you can trust me, the one who made you. And when we see that, and when you're finally honest, what's wrong with you? When you're finally honest and see what is the issue of the world around you, then you can step into this place and say, God, change my heart. Because you need some supernatural power to do that. And the only way is Jesus Christ on the cross. And if you look on that and you hold on to him as your Lord and Savior, if you trust in that work, that right there is going to free you, then I guarantee you, church, friends, it will free you. So I challenge you, knowing that we're all messed up, how about your response to life be not a response of your own cultural desires, natural voices that comes from around you, but how about your response to the life around you be whatever it is that the Bible tells you? How about that the natural response to your heart, to the life around you, be what God says to you to obey? Would you trust him? Let's pray.